Today, we will hear more about artistic interventions in organizations, specifically in the space of science. You might wonder why the Institute of Epigenetics and Stem Cells has decided to work with artists and how she changed their thinking about experimentation. What are some examples of a successful art science collaboration? And what does it mean to have a PhD in artistic interventions in organizations? Today's speaker, Dr. Claudia Schnuck, will share her knowledge, stories, and more. So let's start. We are being told to choose between the left and right brain, between studying art and engineering, between creative and analytical thinking. Our society tells us that art and business are not connected. But what if society is wrong? What if it misleading us? The good news is that understanding what art is can bring us to a new revelation. Art does matter in innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship. And with the help of this podcast and its guests, you as well will learn that art is not an object. Art is a mindset. You are listening to the Artian Podcast with me, Nir Hindi. Hey, podcast listener. Thanks for coming back. More importantly... Thank you for your patience. We always strive to publish on time, but sometimes life and work take over. That's why we skipped one week. We hosted a conference on new technologies in water with one of Israel's leading research institutions and the water team at the Universitat Politecnica de Madrid here in Madrid. You might want to check it out. If you wonder how it relates to art, well, that is another conversation. If it is your first time joining us, my name is Nir and I'm the founder of The Artian, a creative consultancy and training company that applies an art mindset in business environments. Why? Because, as today's speaker, Dr. Claudia Schnuck says, we need to bring art into all of these different aspects of our life in the very near future so we can have a valuable future and to create a future that we want to have. Dr. Schnuck is an author, curator, researcher, and producer of art and science collaborations. Hey, Claudia, welcome to the Artian Podcast. Hi, Nia. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very excited. Generally, I'm excited uh, when I do this podcast because the people that uh, we have over here are uh, so interesting, just like yourself. And before we kind of dive deep to speak about science, innovation, and what artists are doing in this intersection, I'm interested, can you introduce yourself briefly? I try to keep it brief. <laughs> I'm Claudia Schnuck. I'm curator and researcher uh, in the field of intersection of art and science. And I'm working a lot with very different organizations from scientific organizations to startups and industry corporations. And my background actually is uh, social and economic sciences. So I'm very interested in dynamics and, and come up in groups when you work together, uh, work processes, uh, so social psychology, psychology. But also I have a background in cultural studies and art theory. So I try to bring this together, understanding the process and then bringing it into this collaboration process between artists and scientists in these different various organizations and also different fields. Great. And... You actually have a PhD, right? Yes. And this PhD is on what? My PhD is on artistic interventions in organizations. 
So I looked at uh, what is happening actually, what are corporations and companies doing when they engage with art and what are these interventions actually aimed at and what can they do? Okay, so a PhD on artistic interventions in corporation. How did you find yourself even researching this topic? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> So I, as I said before, I'm, I started out with social and economic sciences, but I always was interested in so many different things. So I always wanted to bring my interests in art into my work. And so I decided to do this for my PhD. <laughs> and I saw that there, is, there are quite a few things happening from consultants working with artists to corporations having their own museums. And I was interested in what is this? And back at the time when I started uh, to do my research for my PhD, there was this huge uh, interest in uh, design thinking. So everybody told me, oh, what are you going to do with this art thing? You should do something around design thinking. And I decided, no, <laughs> that's not the way I want to go. I'm not a design person in that sense. I think design thinking is... Is a great solution to many big problems or, or when you want to do something specific in an organization. But I was really interested in arts and, and, and the cultural aspect and the human aspect in arts and all these very maybe undefined possibilities that art brings with itself uh, instead of this strong structure the design thinking process has. So I decided to go that way. <laughs> You know, you are touching a topic that obviously you and I, we had conversation about it. And I want to ask you, everyone knows design, design-led companies, designers in organizations. And often, you know, design and art kind of used interchangeably. And I'm interested to hear, what do you think is the difference between design and art? So maybe to put it very strongly with, a big, with, with the picture is... In design, you try to answer a question. You have a specific situation that you want to find a solution for, and you want to find the best solution for that. So you have a specific process to go to reach the solution, uh, and you design it. And in, when you bring art in, you want to open up. You bring in more questions. You ask more questions. And you maybe want to understand what are the problems that come after you find a solution or what are the options and the perspectives you need to look at next. So it's very different. And also, although design thinking asks a lot about reflection, so you reflect on things that are there given in the design process in respect to the target audience or, or the problem that you want to solve. Whereas critical thinking in art is more this open question of how to engage with the topic critically, bringing in this very important um, aspect of asking, does it actually make sense what I'm doing? <laughs> Not just critically asking, how does it make sense, but does it make sense? <laughs> You know, I really like it because that's what I say. For me, design is about solving problems and art is about asking questions that 
will require at certain point solutions. So I think it's not either or, it's how to understand the value of what artists and art thinking bring and how to connect it to the methodologies of the design thinking. Absolutely. And also, especially in organizations, uh, you need to, you can't always open up questions and open up new ways. You also need to narrow down again. But you need both processes, especially when we always talk about innovation and we need to find new solutions to uh, overcome this crisis and to find something relevant, how we design our future with all the opportunities that we have. We also need to think about this opening up and the, the critical reflection and the new perspectives and the opportunities that we can think of and not only about how do we apply it immediately, what we have, because there is an important step missing in there. We'll talk about measuring art in the organization later, but uh, I'm kind of interested. Did you discover something that surprised you about the way artists and organizations work while you did your PhD? When I started this, uh, there was not much conversation around artistic interventions. There were these few things coming up, but it was not a very strong group of research and activities yet. And what surprised me was when I looked deeper, suddenly a huge variety of opportunities opened up and I found so many different interesting uh, initiatives that have been realized up until then that I was so surprised that nobody's talking about it and it's it, talking about art or bringing art in this sphere of organizations is seen so much as, a, as something strange and alien to the organization. And when you look closer, it's not alien. And there is so much going on. And you have actually tailor-made solutions for any kind of idea where you want to engage with art or where you need to need to bring in this openness or uh, change or trigger change processes in organizations. So this is something that surprised me in that sense. Yeah. So I have to admit it also surprised me. And I guess that it will surprise also our listeners, especially if we are the one that in this field and, and discovering that there is a lot going on, probably the average listener doesn't even know that it exists. So I have a question for you. Why we don't hear about it? If there is so much thing going on, if there are so many references to go to, and you're speaking about 10 years back, I mean, even more. So probably today there is even more material to go. Why we don't hear more about art in the context of business organizations? That's a good question. I'm, I'm also puzzled why it's like that. What I found out, and maybe it's this is something connected to how we do management education, how we think about organizations, how we think about organizational goals and, and strategies that they always have to be tied to financial outcomes and, and specific economic ways of thinking around targets that are connected to making money in the end. <laughs> so and, and the artistic interventions are often tied to other processes at the beginning. And when we think about management education, these processes are not so central. So um, already 60 years back, uh, there was a lot of 
work from scholars and policymakers to make management education more rational and to make management education more accepted within universities as a, a field of study of its own where you can do research. So they put a lot of, of focus on rational studies and a lot of focus on uh, rational and more scientific processes. And they wanted to move away from social sciences and from humanities. This is still very much seen in the management education today, although there are some, some uh, people who really try to push to bring back humanities and, and social sciences in the management education. But this is still very strong reflected in the education, but also in the research. So as a management scholar, you really need to struggle to have enough publications to get tenure <laughs> and to get into into the right uh, direction so that you get a position and this is nothing that you get published in that sense and it's nothing that's of interest or it's barely of interest for the big journals there are a few highlights in the last few years so there have been a few people trying to push this and and some really interesting publications but it's not a general theme, neither in management education nor in management studies. And it's really difficult to get out of this structure for management scholars. And if, if you're a student and you don't hear about it because your professors don't really mind <laughs> doing something like this, <laughs> it's also difficult to get it out into organizations and into the real world. Of course, there are some consultants and so on working with this, but it's just considered as a minor field and a tool and not so much as a really interesting field of study. Oh, I would say integral field of study in business. You are talking and I'm listening to you and I'm like, it's like everything we want from management is excellent as long as we, you don't take into consideration humans. If we reduce management to process, Excellent. This is for the, maybe for the era of robotics, when you don't need to deal with humans, but when you need to deal with humans. Oh, be, be aware of that. Be aware of that. Because there are studies that say that you can more easily replace a manager by a, a robot <laughs> than most of the workers. <laughs> so basically, even it's a shout out to the managers to rethink how to bring humanities because they're on a role as managers is putting at risk. And first of all, you know, I want to kind of maybe do a shout out for all the researchers out there that if they are listening to us and you have a publications, I know we are not one of the most important uh, magazines, but reach out to us and we will do what we can from our part to promote those kind of things. Because I think it's super, super important. And Claudia, what you just said about reducing the management or designing management that is so focused on processes, not only that I think it's wrong, it's horrible. And, you know, organizations at the end consist of people. And, and I think that at the end, you cannot reduce vision into a process. You need to have things that goes beyond a process, imagination, understanding of where you want to go, aspiration, and inspiration for the other. So, yeah. We also don't want to reduce ourselves to the robots of an organization that is not connected to goals that a society can 
back up and uh, is interested in. So I think that there is also a strange situation that people are putting themselves into when they uh, hold this ideal of very rational management up in their in their work, because uh, neither the managers uh, nor the nor the people working in these organizations want to be dehumanized robots for a dehumanized goal. So. Yeah, no, no, totally. Um, next year, I will uh, teach a course in, in the business school I'm, I'm teaching, and I call it the Artful Entrepreneur. And I actually going to speak about entrepreneurs that are actually coming from artistic background and how they leverage it to build unique product and services. And I'm interested how artists kind of influence organizations from your experience. Now, there is one example that I really like of the artist, uh, Sarah Kresge, and how she actually helped the, these researchers, this R&D uh, department, if, if I'm correct, to actually see what they are doing in different eyes. I was really interested in archives and libraries and as uh, digital uh, technologies started to document all of the original artefacts. I wondered what would happen to the original artefacts. So as Leonardo da Vinci's notebooks are being digitised and shared across the world, I wondered what would actually happen to the original notebooks and would they have any value in say 50 years or 100 years time. So I developed techniques to mine these artefacts um, looking for biological information that the text might have and we started to find bacteria and diseases that the book has collected over the last 300 years. And that's what really was the catalyst for the project. Can you share with us the story of Sarah? This was one of the cases that I presented in my book. And this is a little more focused on R&D, of course, as you said, uh, and science. So from this big... A conglomerate of artistic interventions that can be anything like a museum or workshop or um, yeah, also collaboration processes, I started to focus on art science collaboration in different kinds of organizations. And this process was actually at the Bioprocess Laboratory in Basel, which is a scientific organization. So it's, it's part of the university. And uh, they are doing research on, uh, and so it was the Sympeptide uh, research project. And actually, it's about how to artificially create antibiotics that can circumvent <laughs> the uh, possible antibiotic resistance of bacteria. And so it's in uh, research in synthetic biology. And this artist, Sarah Kraski, joined um, the lab for a residency. And she asked really interesting questions uh, about why are they using specific techniques. She also suggested some, uh, from her artistic perspective, more historical contextualizations. And there were two things. One thing she, she found out in her research that Basel was also a center already of fighting the, the pest, <laughs> the Black Death. And that garlic somehow always turned up as one of these remedies. So she did her own research in this laboratory into the antibiotic um, agency and then parts of garlic. And she was able to create her own peptide that she called Theriac based on her research on garlic. 
And while doing so, she talked a lot with the, with the scientists about, about the, the different experiments. There was one experiment that the scientists found that's very basic, but it's uh, also a little more work than another experiment. So they don't use it anymore. And, uh, but it will have the same outcome anyway. And in the end, it didn't have the same outcome when Sarah tried this other experiment. So one second, just to make sure. So they ignored or kind of neglect one process because they thought the result will be the same, but Sarah actually showed that the results were different. Exactly. Exactly. So she also gave them a lot of scientific questions to solve <laughs> this experiment or this idea that she had. But this is not a single case. Things like that happen repeatedly. <laughs> so right now I'm working at the Helmholtz Center in Munich uh, with the Institute of Epigenetics and Stem Cells uh, with artist Anna Dumitrio. And although there is the lockdown and travel restrictions going on, so we couldn't do or start the residency on site, there was, were already a lot of conversations between the scientists and Anna and also Anna suggested in, in a conversation with one scientist, an interesting experiment. Uh, and it, it actually, it's, it's about how cells manage uh, specific operations so that the machineries that they have are not overcrowded. And she said, as you as a researcher, you know, cells are embedded in our body and not women and men don't have the same body temperature and especially also the female body temperature is also connected to to the monthly cycle so why do you do this always at a standardized temperature and uh, so external factors actually could also affect this so they have now lined up an experiment with these cells in this uh, project when Anna is able to visit the lab that they do this research and the scientist is already very excited uh, when Anna will join them so that yeah they find out if there is uh, a change or if it affects this specific process in the cell and there is also really a scientific interest and I asked him from my perspective, isn't this something you do as a standard practice? And he said, yeah, there are some parts in research where you do this as standard practice, but not in this kind of research and in this study. So we didn't think about it and nobody has thought about it by now. So there is a little bit of research around this field, but nobody has done this. So this is really an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. When you are talking, you know, I'm thinking about the stereotype of the artist that just paint on a canvas um, without, without understanding that artists actually go much beyond. Claudia, let's take a short break. And then I want to speak with you about your book. Hi, listeners. It's clear that our speakers are at the intersection of art and innovation, but they didn't just arrive there casually. They developed their skills, gained knowledge, and more importantly, grew their artistic mindset. Would you like to develop some of these skills, capabilities, or a growth mindset? Then I would encourage you to check our art-based learning experiences. Whether you want to build your leadership skills or your innovation competencies, our training can be just what you are looking for. Visit us at www.theartian.com. That is T-H-E-A-R-T-I-A-N.com to learn more. Claudia, you wrote the book, Creating Art Science Collaboration, Bringing Value to Organizations. 
and how can art in science collaboration contribute to the process of innovation in organizations from working on this book? The book emerged actually after I already had a lot of experience uh, in these art science collaborations. So after my PhD, I wanted to go a little more into the field and work also with practitioners on these projects. So I found out that in the field, there were a few open questions, or there still are. But <laughs> So one of these questions was talking about innovation and creativity was very much attributed to the final product of this collaborative process. From my perspective, as a, with this uh, social and organizational studies background, I thought, oh, how could you think of this like that? Why would you attribute creativity just to the outcome? Because creativity is a theory, and it's actually there are many theories around creativity that don't just limit what is creative to one moment in time which is constituted by an outcome. There are many different factors that influence creativity, the creative process, and also the ability of specific individuals to be creative. So I wanted to shift the focus from look just evaluating an outcome to looking at what are the potential contributions of these very interdisciplinary processes between artists and scientists in organizations so that it's easier to understand that you can't only find the contribution or the impact in an outcome or in a physical thing like an artwork or a product, but you can also find it along the process and it can have a more lasting impact than a single out, a single product at the end. You said, let's forget for a second from creativity at the final product. Let's speak about the process. Can you give us an example? What does it mean? How artists influence in the process? What they do that actually can make maybe a more impactful product at the end because of the unique process that they are taking? When you bring in artists into these R&D departments, for example, you're immediately breaking up silos. You're immediately breaking up something that could also be associated not only with a disciplinary silo, but also with uh, organizational blindness or habitual blindness. As soon as you're in a specific field, of course you go deep and you don't look that much left to the left and to the right because you have to go deep, because you need to understand, you fully understand what you do. This, this could be seen as, as, as a very specialized way of working, which is needed for innovation. But on the other hand, you also need to connect to others. You need to learn to speak to other fields and you need to learn to exchange with them in order to see what you do can connect to the outside. And on the other hand, when we talk about habitual blindness or organizational blindness, as soon as we are an organization, we are starting to take over a little bit uh, this mindset that is prevalent in this organization. And we start to talk to each other in this group. And we start to find interesting goals and interesting uh, ideas. And we see the same problems. 
but it's difficult to step out of this. And as soon as we bring somebody in like an artist, uh, it's not only because it's an external person, just like a consultant, but it is an artist who is there for asking questions, opening up, for asking critical, uh, bringing up critical dimensions. You can open up and you can break up this uh, habitual blindness. So this is one example, but there are many more. So when you look at all these different theories uh, from sociology and or organizational studies that also is drawing from anthropology and, and ethnographic stuff, studies, to understand organizational processes, you immediately have a link to understand what it can do when you bring in an artist uh, with their tools, with the aesthetic dimension that they are working with. Because aesthetics, as we said before, organizational aesthetics is also an important aspect. And what we do is also very much tied into aesthetics. So we have certain rhythms that we are used to. When we learn to look at, um, at, at our data, we suddenly we learn how to see the patterns. But if somebody else with an aesthetic competence comes in, maybe they see different patterns and help us to make even this, what we already think we know better or see something new. Uh, so there, there are many dimensions, but it also goes into motivation theory. So it's, it's interesting. So what you're saying is actually artists helping us to overcome organizational blindness. I really like it. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's kind of, obviously, as you mentioned, there are a lot of dimensions and maybe it's an opportunity to maybe have even a, a more deeper conversation on that. But I want to ask you a question. One of the challenges that I often encounter is how to translate the value of art into an argument that the business world can understand. And I wonder, how do you do that? How do you show organizations that there is a value in bringing artists and art into it? So you mentioned one thing, the overcoming organizational blindness, and you just started to speak about motivation. And I'm interested, how do you link it? Where you can actually measure it or measure it differently? So uh, what I use or what I often use is I look at case studies and try to use these theories and the language measures are familiar with and translate what I see as the value and the impact in these cases. Uh, I try to link this to or, or to translate it into this language. So I link it to motivational theory through to innovation or creativity theory, or also some things that are very important for the organization, like technology impact. Or right now, there is also this um, uh, understanding of yeah digital humanism and humanizing technology, climate change. So there, there are many levels that are that are relevant for the organizations, and you can use either one of these themes or uh, one of these theoretical approaches that are linked to management and how managers understand their organizations. And you need to make a link between the cases and show the managers how it's relevant to them. So this is one thing. Uh, so of course, it's a lot of work because you go through case studies and you try to link it case by case so that it makes sense to the organization. 
But on the other hand, I think every organization has also their own needs because they operate in different branches because they are in different states of their developments. Maybe they are within the change process or they are startup or whatever. So you also need to link these things. And this is very much consultancy work, actually. Yeah. Can you give us a concrete example how an artist influenced the organization, which is not necessarily the R&D aspect, maybe on motivation, maybe on uh, employee satisfaction, maybe on formulating vision, maybe? Okay. So maybe I'll give more than one example, if okay. I may. <laughs> <laughs> I when, you, when you ask motivation, I want to go to the European Space Agency that I'm working with. One of the residencies they had a few years back they brought in a, a, an artist who is working with robots and they had a little bit of yeah questions because the robotic department was not the department the artist was having the residency and so they were a little bit worried that artists might have the wrong expectations of what they can get out of the residency but in the end the artist was just hanging around with the scientists and talking about to them about the missions that they were working on uh, what they felt when they realized it, because the artist had very much a storytelling approach, also with the robot. So the robot had a personality and she was, was talking about herself as the robot mom and, and so on. So it was very much this, this playful interaction. So she also started to have these playful conversations with the scientists. And some of the scientists, uh, specifically one, said that it was so relieving to him so that he again started to see what actually motivated him to work at ESA and that it's so difficult when you get into this daily work life to, to still see the wonder and all these opportunities that you have and all this very special moments that you can have in your work. Yeah, that he again saw meaning in his work and it motivated him to make new experiments and to dream of a future in this work. So uh, this was one very, very beautiful example. Yeah, and it's just that I, I have to jump in because, you know, you are touching something very important is that I feel that the most important sentence for me that you said is that he found meaning in his work. And, you know, when you look at the numbers of engagement of employees with their uh, work, you have like almost 65% of employees disengage with their work. And what you just showed that actually the artist help these scientists to maybe fall in love from the beginning with uh, uh, what he was doing. Yeah, and, and fall in love again. Of course, you can have some specific experiences with art, but it's also shown by studies that if management takes this serious, this can be really impactful. So if it's not just one-time experience... Market, which... Marketing stunt. Oh. Yeah, where, where the employees think it's a marketing stand, then you don't get much out of it. But as soon as the employees see that it's valued also within the organization, then this can re be really impactful. I, I just want to go to another very different organization or company uh, where I saw a lot of interesting impact. It is T-Tech. It's a company working and designing and developing sensors for EEG measurement. 
already five years back, over five years back, uh, when I still worked at Ars Electronica, we brought them in touch with artist, uh, fashion tech artist, Anouk Wiebrecht. My name is Anouk Wiebrecht. I'm a Dutch fashion tech designer. And for the last 20 years, I've been creating sort of robotic dresses and uh, dresses that have like sensor fields into them and that uh, react either to the body through body signals or to the world around them, sort of, you know. So these uh, dresses are fully uh, equipped with all kinds of cool electronics and uh, yeah, mostly 3D printed. For a project that we worked on where we talked about, we wanted to present artistic ideas on the future of technology in health. And this artist had actually originally needed the company to contribute to the project Agent Unicorn because she needed the sensors. So the artists and the company started to collaborate. And originally everybody thought, oh, it's just a very instrumental relationship. But it turned out not to be because, first of all, this artistic project got a lot of attention and a lot of researchers from different areas, but also uh, groups of people who are uh, directly confronted with the situation. Agent Unicorn is, an, is a device or is a speculative device for children on the autism spectrum. So th there was a lot of conversation around this project. And the idea came up that uh, the company and the artists do together a hackathon. So it opened up a completely new field, actually. And this is also something very beautiful that happened. Love it. Claudia, one thing you mentioned that caught my interest and I would like to pick your brain. You said that if a company's management is committed to the process, it can be very impactful. And I wonder if you have, if you can name one or two or three even, or more companies that actually you see that the management is committed to this way of thinking, that others in this uh, audience can actually look up to and learn from these companies. Actually, uh, the experiments in art and technology at Nokia Bell Labs, this is something that it's really an interesting program. Uh, I also think that you already interviewed Stunal. Now, within Bell Labs, since the very start of Bell Labs, Bell Labs was created in 1925. Within a few years, Bell Labs already started pioneering collaborations with artists and musicians. And we collaborated with artists and musicians to push our technology way beyond where we thought we could. For listeners that are not familiar with EAT, I recommend go to the first episode of season two to hear more. So one company you mentioned is Bell Labs and their project EAT? So they had this really great program that they developed uh, in the last few years, which is somehow connected to some previous work that they did already in the 1960s. So it's really interesting. And it's also really interesting because it's so much focused on this collaborative process and, and gives a lot of space and openness to this process. This is one company everybody should, should look up. <laughs> then there are others that are starting to have an interest. So it, it's not one company that I want to mention here, but the Starts Initiative by the EU, um, they have also opportunities for R&D departments, but also for scientific labs 
to become hosts of residents, uh, artists in residence. So they give funding, uh, EU funding, to these residency processes because they want to promote uh, these opportunities. And, and one of the more famous hosts there uh, from a company side was uh, last year Schindler, the company that's doing elevators. Yes. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <In Switzerland. yeah. laughs> And so they were also super happy and, and had interesting uh, conversations with the artists. These are really impactful projects that it's not just playful engagement with their products. Yeah, I think that often that's what the managers uh, see when it comes to artists. Some group of uh, people coming to spray colors all over our, our corporate walls without understanding it, my own humble opinion, that artists come in to make you think and ask questions. Yeah, it's not directly a company. It's uh, it's a research institution working very closely tied to industry. Is Fraunhofer Mewis in Bremen, in Germany? They have really interesting engagement with artists that started from their R and D department. Yeah, so there are a lot of companies, and there are even some new some new. Um, approaches within the field of mining so interesting first of all i mean we will make sure to add the links and to the names of the companies and institution you mentioned on the show notes so make sure to go and check it we are getting into the end of our podcast and i have a question one of the things you did also is taking part at the future lab at ars electronica but I don't want to speak about the lab, but I want to hear your opinion about what we are going to see in the next few years at the intersection of art, science and technology, in your opinion. So as you mentioned, the Future Lab, when I joined the Future Lab, it was some kind of a refuge for people who wanted to work interdisciplinary with art and bring together art, science and technology and experience this. And this was already quite a few years back. And in the meantime, I think um, also looking to OECD studies and whatever on transdisciplinarity and uh, all these calls also in education for interdisciplinarity, I think we finally reached this point that we really need to have these interdisciplinary collaborations and bringing art into all these different aspects of our lives in the very near future to have a valuable future and to create a future that we want to have. Great. I think we couldn't have finished this podcast better with such an inspiring and uh, aspiration to bring art to all the different parts of our lives to have uh, a better and more uh, imaginative future. Dr. Claudia Schnuck, thank you very, very much for taking the time and sharing all your wisdom and knowledge about this intersection. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Claudia. Create the future we want to have. A valuable future is a strong message. Do we see a future without the humanities? I certainly cannot. What is the future that you want to have? Think about it. Everything that was mentioned in the episode will be available on the episode show notes on our website. Special thanks to Noah Weinstein, who introduced us. If you haven't listened to my conversation with Noah, 
go check it out in the previous episode. Until next time, take action, be creative, or encourage someone to be one. Your kid, your friend, your spouse, your neighbor. Have a wonderful week. I will be waiting here for you with another episode of the Artian Podcast. With me, Nir Hindi. We are producing our podcast without any help. So if you find this podcast valuable for you, I will be super grateful if you can help us spread the word by leaving a rating or a review. I swear, it helps. Special thanks to Daniel Duran, who mixed and mastered this episode. If you are interested in working with us and building your innovation capabilities, working with artists and artistic practices, I recommend you check our workshops and training, all available on our website. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All our previous shows are available on our website, www.thertian.com slash podcast. We can also be found on our LinkedIn page, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And yes, we also have TikTok. You can reach us directly via email at podcast at Once again, thanks for listening.